difficult where we experience pain, loss, and, and grief, which I know many of us are dealing with um, this morning. Lynn, thank you for leading us in prayer. Appreciate that. Um, right now, this is the time of our service where we direct our attention to God's word. And, um, you know, when there are difficult times, I, know if, I don't know if you can relate to me, but oftentimes, I don't know what to say. What I would love to be able to do is to offer words that will immediately take the pain away. Um, but what I do know is that God has given us his word, and his word, we believe it is eternal, and it is true. And as we lean into his word this morning, he uses it to comfort his people, to challenge his people, and to remind his people ultimately of who he is and what he has called us to be. And so this morning, we do what, what we do every week. We open up God's word, and we look at it. We learn from it. We are filled with it, and we are changed by it. So if you have a copy of God's Word, um, we are this morning in Matthew chapter 13. I invite you to turn there. If you don't, there are some on the chair rack ahead of you. You could um, simply just grab one of those, but there won't be words on the screen this morning. We are, as a church, walking through a series um, this summer where we're looking at different parables of Jesus, different parables that he's taught. So far, we've looked at the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. We've looked at the parable of the lost sheep. Last week, we looked at the very familiar story of the Good Samaritan. Um, and this week, we continue our study as we look at another very familiar parable, the parable of the sower. Now, you might be, if you've just maybe joined us this summer, you've been tracking with us over the spring, you might be thinking, what about Acts? I thought we've been studying the book of Acts for the last year or so, or half a year, or whatever, and um, we'll return to Acts. We'll return to Acts um, in the fall, but for now, we're looking at these teachings of Jesus, and and one of the reasons that we're doing this is, is we're doing it to just remind ourselves of what Jesus himself said about him and about the kingdom of God. And that's really what the parables do is they, they shine light, they teach us, they instruct us about the very kingdom of God. And, and as a church, we've sort of defined this, at least this past year, some of the words we've used to describe what is the kingdom of God. It's simply God's people in God's place experiencing God's rule and blessing. If you want to think about kingdom, you can think about it in those terms. God's people in God's place and ex as they experience God's rule and his blessing. We'll see Jesus instruct us about his kingdom this morning as we consider this parable. This is a parable that's found in several of the gospels. It's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, this idea of kingdom is a, it's a theme that is especially unique and central to a focus of, in Matthew's gospel. In chapter 13, where we find this, it's the first parable of seven that Jesus uses to instruct us about kingdom life. And if you remember, as we've been talking about what parables are doing, what Jesus is using them to do, generally they fall in one of two categories. They, they either teach us about how somebody enters into the kingdom, or they teach us about how life looks within the kingdom. Sometimes the parables will do both, okay? So I'm gonna read actually the rest. We have a, a bigger section of scripture this morning. So I'm gonna read the, 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 we just heard the parable. Then Jesus is asked by his disciples, why do you speak in parables? 
And then Jesus gives them the explanation of the parable. So I'm gonna read verses 10 to 23, then I'll pray for our time. Then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand. And you will indeed see but never perceive. For the people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears, they can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. And understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. Hear the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity that we have this morning to come together as a people, as your people. Lord, and we recognize that your presence, your spirit is in this place. And Lord, as we meet and we listen to your word, Father, I pray that you would be, help us to be the people who have ears to hear, that your word would come to us this morning, Lord, and that as it does, that we would be comforted, that we would be challenged, that we would be encouraged, Lord, in our life. We love you and we thank you for all you've given us. Take this word, which is eternal and true, write it under our hearts, shape and form us into the people that you have made us to be. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, I don't know about you, church, but every now and then there is a song that I listen to, and it's only after a few times of listening, or maybe sometimes it's after years, when I hear somebody else maybe singing the song or I hear it maybe in a different way, I realize that the way that I had been listening to the song was wrong all along. That the lyrics that I thought I was singing were actually the wrong lyrics. I don't know if you guys have, there's some songs that I think are more common for us this, uh, to do this than others, but a number of years ago, um, I take it as my sort of responsibility as a father 
to instruct and train my children, yes, in the ways of the Lord, but also in the ways of good music. And so it's a, it's a responsibility I take very seriously. And a number of years ago, I was, I was shaping and forming, I hope, my, my children's preference on, on music, and I was using Michael Jackson to do that, okay? And one of the songs that came on that we were listening to over and over and over again was the song, Man in the Mirror. Do you know the song? You know the song, okay. Well, the chorus says this. It's, I'm just gonna read it. It's very tempting for me to just start singing it, but you don't want that, all right? So the chorus goes like this. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to change his ways. And no message could have been any clearer. If you wanna make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. You familiar with that song? Well, our kids love that song, and we were playing it over and over and over again. And one day we were in the car, and it was just me and one of my children, I will not name which, was in the car, and the song came on, and we were singing it. And I began to realize, as this child was bursting forth with song in the, in the chorus, that he was saying the wrong lyric. Just one word he missed. It was an important word. And the line where it says, no message could have been any clearer. This child thought the word message was mustache. <laughs> and no mustache could have been any clearer. If you want to make it and I just, I, I paused for a second, and I thought to myself, could, could you say that again? <laughs> just one more, could you say that one more time? And he sang it out with a lot of joy, and just, you know, he was sure he was right. And we went through, uh, you know, let's just think about context. Does that make any sense whatsoever? I mean, maybe it's true, I don't know. But the point is, as much as he listened to the song over and over and over again, he didn't really hear the lyrics. He didn't truly hear the lyrics. And because he wasn't hearing the lyrics, you can imagine the sort of message of the song was likely not what he was internalizing. He misheard what was said. Question to you this morning, I think the question that this text asks us to ask ourselves: how do you hear? How do you hear? It matters how you hear. The, the big idea, what I believe this text is telling us this morning, calling us to, it's, it's telling us that the true people of God are those who truly hear. The true people of God are those who truly hear. This morning, to see this, we're going to look at three things. First, we'll consider together the problem, then we'll look more specifically at the parable, and then finally, together, we'll think about the point. What is the point? So first, what's the problem? If you remember last week, if you were here, we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan. One of the things that we established is that there is no universal brotherhood. While some believe there is, many want there to be. The reality is, the Bible's very clear, there is not. The brotherhood, the family of God, is not universal, okay? While there is a universal neighborhood, the parable of the Good Samaritan, love your neighbor, Who's in your neighbor? Anybody who bears the image of God? While there is a universal neighborhood, there is no universal brotherhood. There are those who are in the kingdom 
and those who are outside the kingdom, those who submit to the rule of God and experience his blessing, and then there's those who don't. In fact, this is one of the, in terms of context, one of the reasons that prompts Jesus speaking this parable. If your eyes just look above in your text to the end of chapter 12, you'll see the context of this. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers were stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of the Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. This is a point that Jesus is making. He is essentially defining the family of God, what it means to be a part of God's family, what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And how does he define it? He says, those, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that's my family. Who are those that get into the kingdom of heaven? Those who do the will of the Father in heaven. Now this, as I said before, kingdom theme is a theme that is fleshed out throughout the gospel of Matthew. Jesus talks about it over and over and over again. He comes preaching and proclaiming that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As Jesus teaches and does miracles which, which verify his presence, God's presence, the king's presence among the people, he is calling the people to repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He came preaching the kingdom, declaring that God's right to rule over the minds and the hearts of the people. But yet as Jesus, the king himself, draws near to the people, the problem is they reject him. This is the problem. This is the problem throughout history, throughout humanity. This is our fundamental problem, rejecting God's rule, the, the, the word of God as it comes to us. The, the very thing that Jesus came proclaiming to the people, the very thing that they have longed for, they reject. We see this first and foremost in, in Adam in the garden, right? He didn't want, he, he has experienced Tremendous freedom, tremendous blessing, enjoying the very presence of the Almighty. Yet, he didn't approve of what he thought was an overreach by God. An arbitrary restriction around the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what does he do as a result? Rejects God's rule. Rejects God's word. Rebels. This is the essentially start the nation of God's people, the nation of Israel, on a path that would follow suit, rejecting God's word as it comes to his people. The Old Testament prophets are continually calling them out because they have rejected God's word. They have been unfaithful. They have turned their backs on a faithful, loving God. This is in verses 14 and 15 when Jesus refers to Isaiah this is one of the reasons why he points to this passage, to help them understand why he speaks in parables. He, he quotes the prophet Isaiah, a prophet that saw the Lord high and lifted up, recognized at the same time the depth of his own sinfulness as he looked at God's holiness. 
He answered God's call to to be a messenger of God to the very nation of Israel with this shocking charge. His assignment was to deliver a warning to a people that would not hear, or they would hear, but they would not understand. They would not truly hear. They, They would see, but not perceive. Their ears would be heavy, their eyes blind, and their hearts would be dull. This was Isaiah's assignment. And by alluding to the prophet, Jesus is reminding the disciples that there is both peril and promise that accompanies the proclamation of the word. Grace and judgment. And the difference comes down to how you hear. The difference between whether the proclamation of the gospel is peril in your life, danger, or promise of hope, the difference is made by how you hear. And of course, we see this problem, this pattern continue of people rejecting God's words, most ultimately as they reject Jesus himself, the incarnate, the the word of God made flesh who comes to dwell with his people. And what's the response of the very people he came to be with? They reject him, they push him away. Folks, this has been the problem throughout history that plagues humanity. God's word draws near and the people refuse to hear it. They follow in the footsteps of countless others before. But those who are the true people of God truly hear the message of Jesus. He says in verses 10 to 17 that this is in fact why he speaks in parables. They say, why do you speak in parables? He tells them, I see because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. While while Jesus is telling these stories, the parables are doing sort of two things simultaneously. To some people in the crowd, they are concealing truth. And for others who hear the exact same words, it's revealing truth. Problem, he says in verses 14 and 15 with the people is that their ears are connected to their hearts. Their ears are heavy and their hearts are dull. They are not truly hearing or understanding. They're not turning and following, trusting, submitting to the word of Christ as it comes to them. But as we go on, we will continue to see the true people of God are not like that. They truly hear God's word. So in verses 18 to 23, what does Jesus do? He, he, this is one of the unique aspects of this parable is he actually explains what he means to the disciples. It's unusual. Not all of the parables happen like this, but for Jesus, for this one, he explains. We don't have to work hard to discern the meaning. He makes it about as clear as possible. As he tells the story of a farmer going out and spreading seed, the, the seed itself is, is, is like the word of the kingdom, he says. And remember, this chapter, this, this, this book is all about the kingdom of God. And a key to understanding God's kingdom and rule is to understand his word, the, the gospel itself, the message that God's bringing salvation to sinners. 
As the story continues, we'll see that this comes through the Son's death on the cross and resurrection from the dead, that salvation comes to those who believe in Jesus and repent from their sins. This is the word, the gospel of the kingdom. This is the seed and the soil that the seed is scattered on, that finds its home and rests on. The soil is simply the human heart. It's the heart. And as he tells the story, what he is showing is the various kinds of human hearts that either receive the word, the seed, or reject Christ's message. Four different types of soil. The first that he talks about is the path. This farmer goes out and sows seed, and some seed lands on the path. This path is hard. It's hardened from countless travelers over the years that have walked to and fro across the path and trampled the soil down, hardening the soil, making it impenetrable by the seed. The ground is so hard that as the seed lands on the path, it simply lies there. Birds come along and pick up the seed and there's no activity, there's no growth, there's no root. This path as it describes a heart, is essentially, we could call it, this is a description of somebody who's hard-hearted. Hard-hearted. This is a description of what we would see in Romans chapter one, essentially. If you're familiar with, with that passage, 18 to 20, talks about people who have suppressed the truth, clearly seen throughout creation, and as they suppress the truth, truth that they can see just by looking at creation, they're plunged into spiritual ignorance. Later, as the chapter goes on, the spiritual ignorance gives birth and leads to essentially moral degradation. In verse 32, we see that not only they practice immorality, but they also give approval to those around them who practice immorality as well. And what you see with this person who's got a hard heart is that sin leads to the rejection of God and his word. And as God's word and himself is rejected because of sin, it gives way to more sin. It's a, it's a deadly and tragic cycle. Sin in the life giving rejection to God's word, plunging them deeper and deeper and deeper into more and more sin. The reality is, and many of us know this to be true, just as we look at our own lives and our own hearts, is that sin hardens our heart. Sin hardens our heart, specifically unrepentant, unconfessed sin hardens our heart. And so the message for us, if we can relate to that this morning, is if you can if you know that there's sin in your life that is unrepentant, that you have not confessed before the Lord, and you feel your heart hardening, just to confess it, and he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. The first path, the first ground that the seed falls on is hard. I don't know if you can relate to that or not. The second type of soil, first to as a rocky soil. Seed goes out and falls on rocky soil. This soil is covering, filled with rocks. Seed gets scattered, it sinks in, but the soil isn't deep enough to allow it to take root. It springs up quickly, but it's shallow soil is no match for the heat of the, of the sun. As things heat up and get hot, whatever comes from the seed immediately is scorched and withers away. Many, many people can relate to this. 
as rocky soil, we could maybe call it, as we liken it to a human heart, a shallow heart. Shallow hearts may show some response to the message of Jesus, but lack depth, no roots. Another way of saying is the penny doesn't drop. Penny doesn't drop. Perhaps they're attracted to the message of Jesus, but they're attracted for maybe the wrong reasons. Maybe an emotional attraction, experience. Maybe it could be even political alignment, possibly, that could maybe draw them to the message of Jesus. Perhaps it's social action or social activity that draws them but there's no real depth. Again, those things could be good things that initially draw them, but they're not the main things. First sign of difficulty, the first sign of persecution, the first sign of challenge, and poof, away they go. Soil, shallow. No place for the roots to take. Shallow heart. The third type of soil is, uh, we'll call it thorny soil. It's thorny soil. The sower seed lands on the ground that is, has all the potential to produce crop and to support growth. The soil's there. However, the seed finds itself immediately in competition with other things that are growing, weeds, thorns. The, dip- the potential for growth is there, but never realized because thorns crowd it out. Sunlight can't get in. The soil, all the nutrients in the soil are soaked up by the thorns and the weeds that exist, eventually choking out the little growth that's produced by the seed. This thorny soil, I think we could liken it to what I'll call a busy heart. A busy heart. A heart that has room for all sorts of things, cares, riches, things that this world offers. Well established in the heart. So that as God's word comes in, it is in stiff competition with the goods of this world. Jesus talks about how it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to get in heaven talking about somebody who has a busy heart, whose heart is given over to the cares and the riches of this world. And it's a challenge for us this morning to take stock of our life, to to, to look into our heart. What else is planted in there? Does God's word, as it comes to us, does it have the opportunity to take root, to thrive and to grow? Or is it immediately choked out by our love and attention for things like Sports or grades or relationships or the advancement of a career or just more money in our bank account. Again, these are not bad things. But is our allegiance given to to worldly things rather than the message of the kingdom? Are, Are those things keeping us from truly hearing the word of God, from knowing and understanding and living the way of Jesus? I think every one of us can relate in some way to the temptation for our heart to become overcrowded. Now, what's interesting about this is 
I, I think this typically is a gradual process, our heart becoming overcrowded. Uh, just recently, we, our backyard was in desperate need of, just say, work, lots of work. So it's been a weekend regrading the backyard, moving dirt around, and putting seed down into the ground, trying to get some grass to grow. There was not much grass in our backyard. It's still in stiff competition with crabgrass. It's kind of driving me nuts a little bit. But there's a weed in our yard that is just so evasive and so almost impossible to get rid of. It's called ground elder. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced ground elder, but it is just nasty. It thrives with, like, you, can, you can't cover it with like a tarp and kill it. It'll just thrive underneath that if you, you know, or it'll start growing on top of it. You just can't get rid of it. But at the beginning of the spring, when you begin to see it emerge, it grows quickly, but you can see it take, you can see it pop up out of the soil and you just know you have a matter of a few days before, I mean, the only way to get rid of it is to just pull it, right? To just pull it. But it doesn't just spring up overnight. Over the weeks, in the springtime, you can see it grow and you can, you can have time to attack and get it. And it's kind of a never-ending process throughout the summer to stay on top of it. But it doesn't just happen overnight. It gradually grows. Oftentimes, our hearts are, the process of things overcrowding our heart are very similar. Things don't just pop up overnight, typically. Typically, habits that we form allow those things to creep into our life day in, in and day out. We need constant attention to the gradual overcrowding of our life to ensure that as God's word comes to us, it's not choked out by the cares and riches that this world has to offer. It needs constant attention. The fourth soil, good soil, allows for growth, produces grain. In fact, an abundance of growth. It's loose so that as the seed falls in, it's not hard as the seed can find its way into the soil. It's deep so that there's room for the roots to spread and thrive so that as the sun comes up, it can withstand the heat, not be scorched. It can endure. It's free from competition. No thorns, no ground elder making its way in there. This soil, we could maybe call a soft heart or an open heart. While Jesus tells the parable and uses four different types of soil, really what he's saying is there's not four different types of hearts, right? There's two. There's two types of hearts. There's those that allow the word of God to come into them, change them, form them, that experience the blessing and the joy of Jesus, and there's those that reject God's word where the seed doesn't take root, where the penny doesn't drop. There's just two, ultimately. And the true people of God, the point is that the true people of God truly hear the words of Jesus. So a big question that I just kind of wrestled with with this text this week is how do you apply this? What can we do? Do, do you have any ability to change your heart? What do we do? 
Can we soften our own hearts? Can we open our own eyes or open our own ears so that we may truly hear the word of God? Can we do that on our own? The answer is no, we can't. God makes this point all throughout the Bible. A couple of passages that come to mind, Old Testament, Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I will give you a new heart. The people of God's need, their problem, for it to be resolved, it requires divine intervention. Heart surgeon by the creator of the universe. He says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the old heart, the heart of stone, the hard heart, the heart that God's message can't penetrate. I will remove it from you and give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart that receives God's word. Look at Jeremiah 24, 7. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return to me with their whole heart. Our problem is we need a new heart. If we wanna hear and receive God's word, requires divine intervention. God tells us in the New Testament for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. We can't do it ourselves. We're wholly dependent on God. It's not our doing, but it's the gift of God. This is one of the most humbling truths in the Bible. In order to hear the word of God, Jesus doesn't require that we become high achievers on some spiritual scale. He, he tells the disciples in the passage, he says, but blessed are your eyes and your ears, for they hear. They're blessed because God has allowed them to see what they see. Their ears are blessed because they're allowed to hear. It's only God's work, only his power that can explain how we receive, whether we receive or reject the gospel of Jesus, the message of the kingdom. And while that is true, we are not absolved of responsibility. While we are totally dependent on God, the sovereign God, God to exchange our hearts, a heart of stone with a heart of flesh that can receive and hear, truly hear his, God, his word, we are not totally absolved of responsibility. This is one of the great mysteries of the Bible is that we live sort of at this intersection between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. We, there's something we can do, and it's right here in the text. Two applications. First, what can we do? Come and hear Jesus. Draw near to Jesus. Jesus is, is verbally speaking this parable to make the point. He is telling the parable to make the point. But he's also illustrating this in real time for the people. If you look at the story, you'll see that there's two groups of people. There's the crowds and then there's the disciples. 
Jesus, at the very beginning, it says that he leaves the house. He went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into the boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables saying, and then he tells the parable. Jesus himself is creating sort of a mini amphitheater so that as he sows seeds, as he proclaims the word, that they will, it will go out so that everybody around him, he's limiting obstacles so that, so that anybody who wants to hear can come to him and hear. And then there's the disciples. He's surrounded by the crowds. And it's the disciples that while everybody hears the parable, only the disciples truly hear the parable. The ones who, who come to Jesus who recognizes their need for help to sort of, Jesus, help us make it make sense. What, what are you saying? And what's their response? They come near to Jesus. They draw near to him. They recognize that on their own, they can't make it make sense. They need help. This is the difference between the disciples and the crowd. Disciples come, they ask, give us help, explain it, master. They're dependent on his rule in their life to explain it to them. Only the disciples come to Jesus, like little dependent children in need of help, divine help to understand. Parkview, let's be like that. Let's be that type of church that draws near to Jesus. Let's not walk around with our heads lifted up, our chest poked out as if we've got it all figured out. We are in desperate dependence of Jesus. Let's not reject him in unbelief, but let's lean into him, draw near to him as we believe him, as open-hearted, soft-hearted people who hunger and long for righteousness to do the will of the Father in heaven. Let's draw near to Jesus. Secondly, what else can we do? First, come and hear Jesus. Sunday morning is a great place to do that. The Bibles are always open. The word is always proclaimed. Don't let it just be a 30-minute, 30 38-minute thing you do every week, once a week. Come to Jesus. Feed from his word. See the mysteries of the kingdom of God he's revealing to us. Eliminating obstacles. You, in this book, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, these words are eternal, they're true. Apart from these words, I don't know how to make sense of anything. Let alone loss, discouragement, grief, challenge. Apart from this word, and God's spirit revealing it to his people. I don't, know, I don't know how we make sense of the world around us. I have no other solution, no other tips. Draw near to Jesus. And if you do that, he will welcome you with open arms. That's a promise we hold on to. Second point, come in here, go and tell. Go and tell about Jesus. 
Essentially, do what Jesus is doing in this text. Jesus is sowing seed. He's proclaiming the message of the kingdom so that anyone can hear him. We don't know the hearts of men. God does. We don't know if they've got a, if they got a hard heart, if they've got, a, if they've got a, a shallow heart or a cluttered heart or a soft and open heart. We don't know. Our responsibility is to proclaim God's word, to let God's spirit take his word into the people's hearts. And the truth is, how then will they call on him and whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? If we want God's word to transform not just our lives, but our community and the world around us. How will his kingdom come? Answer, proclaim the message of the kingdom. Speak God's word and let his spirit do his work. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word this morning. Um, Lord, I do pray that we would be the type of people that when things get hot in our life, when persecution, when challenge, when confusion floods into our life, help us be the type of people that turn immediately to your word. Lord, and would you use that word to shape us, all of who we are, individually, corporately, to be people who follow hard after you. Lord, would you give us the ability to truly hear, to receive your word and to be changed by it, Lord, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We thank you that you're a God who, who does reveal your truth, the truth of the kingdom to us. Lord, help us to truly hear as you do that. We ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.